0: Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. The Gospels are full of moments when Jesus is trying to unpack spiritual truth into earthly minds and hearts. He's trying to unlock what he calls the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Not so they would just become religiously minded, but so they would be full of his life wherever they go that same purpose is in the word of God today the, the Holy Spirit wants to do that we're going to pick up one really short parable in Mark's gospel called the parable of the growing seed verse 26 of Mark 4 and Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has In October 31st, 1990, I was part of the team here at Kensington Temple. It was Halloween, and that particular night, the church had called a prayer meeting. And so, through the late of the evening and into the early hours of 1st of November, people were here praying upstairs and downstairs. I was part of a a gathering downstairs in what was then an 18 to 30s group. My wife and uh, and I, we'd married a couple of years before and she'd moved up to London to to join me here. And, And we were part of that meeting and as we were going away, it was about 12.30, 12.40 in the morning. We were driving down Holland Park Avenue and it was a crisp autumn early morning And there were leaves stacked up on either side of the road. And we were just driving home to West London where we were living then. And there was almost nobody on the street. Nobody really in their cars, very few. It's a beautiful drive as the lights in the road lit up the glistening leaves. Then we saw one guy. He had a high-vis jacket on and a great big broom at 12.40 in the morning, and he was sweeping up the leaves all on his own. I nearly went off the road and crashed the car. It was the shock of seeing uh, one lone road sweeper late at night, early hours, that really just caught my attention. We joked about it, and he and I still to this day are not sure whether it was a road worker or an angel because it seemed to take more faith that it would be a road worker working on his own at that late at night with so many leaves down Holland Park Avenue. But I felt God speak to me. I I was a rookie in ministry and and in many ways just so excited to be part of this church that had gone through explosive growth in the the ten years before and and seen just so many people from all nations come to London and many get saved here or, or, or kind of prodigals coming back to Jesus here But that prayer meeting seemed to be about something fresh into the new decade. And I felt in my spirit, I think I felt it that night, but that's how it preaches now. That's how it comes out. So I'm saying I did. But certainly in the coming weeks and months, I felt a stirring that the Lord was saying that he was doing something in the city. He was preparing the way. He was cleaning the streets. He was shifting things out of the way. There was a controversy that started around that time around the word revival. A a large conference was being planned for London. Some of you may remember that then. and and, uh, Some prophetic ministries had spoken about revival and God's desire to bring revival to this nation and other nations of the world. And particularly one prophetic word about revival coming to the UK. Kind of split opinion. There were some that were saying, revival? What revival? And yet there were others, like many of us here in the church, that had seen God do some extraordinary things... I'd come back to this, well, certainly I'd come to this church in 1985. I was a Pentecostal pastor's kid that had read lots of church history about revivals past, but seen very little of my own. I I, I was running from God, and on the the run from a call of God on my life that came as a 17-year-old at a youth camp. Hello, there's a little plug for Limitless. Do you see what I did there? see that? Limitless Festival, they had 450 plus young people saved last year at Limitless Festival from 4,000 plus that were on site. It was extraordinary. So I do urge you, think about, you know, bringing lots of young people there. Sounds like I'll be there myself, I won't, but I'll be praying for them. Significantly... Back then, in, in the mid-'80s, when I came to London, my dad was pastoring up in Scotland. I'd come back from the US, where I'd been teaching, and, and, and kind of carving out a career path. And, but backslidden, on the run something brought me to a point of decision and I came running back to the UK and found my way back to London. And I can't help but be nostalgic a little bit about those things which look clearer in the rear view mirror than they were at the time. How many of you found that with the will of God? You can see things behind you better than you can see up front. You can see what he did, who he brought into your life, what the circumstances were, what decision points you had. And it looks so much clearer back there than it does forward. Well, I came running into a church that was alive with salvation and the power of God, and all, and, and over the next couple of years, the Lord—it felt like the Lord just took me apart and put me back together again. Times of repentance, times of even actually arrogance and pride, when I kind of said, "Here I am, Lord, I'm back," and it didn't quite work like that, as the Lord began to just put a fresh sense of of, of His grace and his love into my heart and my spirit and quickly I found myself kind of jumping into a river where the the church was flowing, where God was moving and and, and beginning to see along with others many, many evidences that God wanted to bring something to London that we were hearing about from other parts of the world. Somebody say amen. amen. So when I heard that revival prophecy, I was already hoping, praying, believing that this could be God. So on that night driving home to West London, the stirring that went in my spirit that began to rise up in the next few months and shared with many here, we were saying, Lord, do it, do it, do something. We'd seen some amazing things here and other churches were seeing some blessing and some growth. People coming to faith. And also people coming from the nations to London that were realizing they weren't just here to study, they weren't just here to work. Jesus was putting a calling and a commissioning on their lives to reach this nation, this city, and these communities for his name's sake. So into that moment, a stirring that God wanted to bring revival to a city. I was just one of thousands that were involved in church in London at that time, and many of you are here today in the earlier service. But I have a reminiscence, a recollection, a kind of memory bank that the moment I start to think about revival now, it's not just an aspiration for the future or a nostalgic moment from the past. There's something that reminds me that Over the decade of the 90s, for example, the Lord began to do something in London. By the end of that decade, you couldn't rent a building in the city that didn't have a church in it on a Sunday. Something began to happen as the Lord broke out. or you might say that the city seemed to get darker over those decades. The culture seemed to get more and more secular in the 90s and the 2000s. But I want to say it this way. The Lord begins to work in tough times, whatever the season. The Lord in every age, every generation wants to release a faith spirit for revival once again in His people. And I'm here today, a message that I'm carrying at the moment in in a number of ways to try and personalize that a little bit for today. And here at KT, a place that was so formative in my own journey of restoration and of recommissioning, I want to say it in the house today, that it's time to sow seeds of revival. It's time to sow seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time, say it's always time. Yeah, it is, but it's now time. It's Rhema time. It's Kairos time. It's time for us to activate something. And I hope before we finish, as we land this a little bit later on, that we'll see that it's not just our time. It's the church's time in this generation to see something extraordinary. So Jesus is trying to explain to them that he is a... Of course that he has come to save the world. Of course that he is going to die on a cross and he is going to be risen from the dead and he is going to go back to the Father and he's going to commission them. But here he's trying to unpack this concept of the kingdom. The kingdom of God. The gospel that Jesus preached. The the gospels make it clear to us was the gospel of the kingdom. Heaven come down. Let your kingdom come Lord, let your will be done here in us, in ours, as it is done in heaven. And Jesus tells so many stories in the the, the Gospels about what the kingdom is, what it's like, how it manifests, what what, what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus, of God the Father, of the Son, the Holy Spirit being worked out in our world, that we're, in that context, citizens of another kingdom. Under a king and his kingdom ambassadors. Here, just a simple, more than recap on the parable of the sower, a simple moment where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. Now I'm a city boy, I've spent most of my life in cities, and I'm not really particularly agricultural or pastoral in that sense, (laughs) some would say in other senses, rural. In fact, I'm learning, a late developer, I even confess occasionally to now watching Gardener's World on television, and Monty Don there being one of my new heroes. But don't tell anybody that's the case, it's just not cool. But you know, as a city boy, I don't really get the country stuff, I don't really get what it is to plow the fields and scatter, I don't really understand the processes, not much, but Jesus was speaking into an agricultural setting and he spoke to fishermen that were used to going out to sea and he's unlocking secrets of the kingdom from their natural known world. But here's what he starts with, something that immediately is striking to me. He says a man goes out to, 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 to the fields, his fields, and he scatters. And immediately that plugs us right in. This is, the, this is the shorthand parable of the sower. A God who scatters. Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like. A man who goes out to, to sow and scatters before we begin to look at how we might be his sowers, in our place and our season and our experience. Let's just root it in this. A God who is the Lord of the harvest. In Matthew 9, we see Jesus picking up this theme of harvest again. He tells him to look at the fields. Look around you. And he says, the fields are white unto harvest, are ripe, are ready. He didn't look that way to them. But he says... I want to show you something of God's harvest. That harvest is speaking about people coming to know the living God and being born again through Jesus Christ. It's a harvest. Jesus is wanting to open their eyes and ours to the harvest field, the Lord of the harvest, who's always in season for harvest, but beginning to put something of faith, in the lives of everybody that's going to come to him and join him in harvesting. Scatters. That word is a vivid revelation of a God who will never hold back. You know, right now, Jesus wants to scatter his name in all the earth. He doesn't want to ration it. He wants to scatter it. He wants to scatter his love in all the earth. He wants to scatter his love in every community, in every culture, in every context, in every language, tribe, and tongue, and people group. He wants everybody to know. And you know, that scattering behind it is an abundance of life and love, of mercy and grace. He wants to scatter his word and his ways and his kingdom life to people that we wouldn't go to. Some we'd be afraid to reach out to. Others we just might feel just so uncomfortable. How do we even begin? But he's a scattering art. Do you know, sometimes I've noticed in my life that I I want to ration what I have or I want to carefully invest my money, my time, my energies, my faith even. And to ration it, place it so carefully in the most fruitful soil. Or I'm not doing it. Oh, it's problematic there and it's hard there. and, And yet... Here is the word of the Lord Jesus saying, a man goes out to sow, and he scatters. How would it be if in the next few years, the church around the world wakes up to that revelation and begins to go all out to scatter the name of Jesus and the word of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus into every place? that we overcome our biases, our experiences past, our disappointments, our frustrations, in order to be a scattering church. Yes. Jesus is saying, a man goes out to scatter seed. And as he does, actually, he's not in control of what happens next. I remember a Sunday here one time when, a long time, I can't help it, Pastor Colin, nostalgia moments. There was a time when we had... Um, uh, a dedication, no, a, a membership Sunday. And it was some way back in the day, but just bear with me. And a whole bunch of people were up here coming into membership on a Sunday morning. And whoever was leading the meeting, I think, uh, uh, just began to ask them, who, who are you, where are you from, tell us how you got saved. And very quickly it went along. We got to about the, the halfway down, and a couple were there together. And the young man and young lady shared uh, their names and their story and said, Somebody gave me a Gideon Bible and I read it and I accepted Jesus. I'm from a Sikh background, the Gideon Bible. Once I read those words, I I became a follower of Jesus. Everybody applauded. Stunned at that. It was, it was a kind of an unusual one. I picked up a Bible as a person of another faith and read it, and Jesus saved me. Went a little bit further down. Hey, who are you? Where are you from? Another couple. He said, I'm from a Sikh background. Somebody gave me a Gideon Bible, and they looked at each other. I read it, and I came to Jesus. Even years later, I'm reminded, scattering means many ways. Means many moments. Means not just all down to you in that one moment of witness, but it is also about that one moment of witness when you become an instrument through which Jesus makes himself real and known and extends his life and his offer of eternal life through your conversation. So here's Jesus saying, "All that it grows by itself. But then as it grows... Firstly the earth produces the blade then the ear then the full grain in the ear but when it's ripe at once he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come this is a simple little parable that tells a profound message that a move of god a move of salvation in a place in a church in a community in a in a city in a nation a town wherever doesn't happen all at once it happens like natural growth, in stages. Back in the beginning of the 90s, the revival, what revival question, was coming out of understandable motives. Because it didn't look like the UK was in revival. We could fly to some revival hotspots where it did feel like community and and culture was being transformed, and, and many people were coming to faith. But here... In the UK, that didn't feel like the climate. Jesus says, all by itself, God's seed begins to produce life. First, a small growth. In the early times of God moving in a place, a community, a city, a nation, it can seem that that new life is vulnerable, is not much. But I want us to see that Jesus here is not just speaking about sowing. He's speaking about reaping in due time and season. What happens when the scattering of God's life, sown in every place, everywhere, to everyone, begins a process through which God will bless and grow that into an eventual harvest. But it starts with sowing. We're getting a hold of the heart of God to scatter his life, his gospel, Jesus to everyone, everywhere. We're going to just begin to unpack that a little bit in terms of what it might be for us, for you, in your place, your community, your neighbourhood, your workplace, your family, your city, or your city. Some of you have dual multiple national, uh, kind of nationality, not just nationality, but kind of uh, residency, that's the word. You're living in one place but maybe praying for another. That's a dual residency. You're living in one place but maybe sending uh, resources to another. You're living here maybe temporarily and, 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 and yet going somewhere else in the future, after studies, after plans have fulfilled here. Others are here, this is your place. You've, you're planted, you're not just placed in the city of London. And, and you're, you're looking for all that God wants to continue to do. In the midst of that, what does it mean for us to sow? Let's have the sowing slide. I want to add one before we go into the, the first one on the list there. In our worship from the very beginning of the day, as we've sung together, as we've sung of the goodness of God, as we've sung of his might and his worthiness, I was reminded so much that worship is a foundation for all we do, that you and I are not primarily called as evangelists, pastors, prophets, teachers, administrators, all the various giftings that the New Testament uh, reveals to us and, uh, and, and highlights and teaches about, But that we are first and foremost called as worshippers. Do you know that's the only ministry that you won't that that will be uh, there for all eternity? All the others will resign, lay at his feet. Said it before there's a time when the counselor will stop counseling. Hallelujah. The pastor will stop pastoring. Amen. The evangelist will stop evangelizing the prayer warriors will stop praying because in glory those things will not be needed. But there will never be a day when the worshipper stops worshipping. It's a holy calling. It's an eternal calling. It's not just for the music team. They help and lead us with great heart and and, and faith and and anointing. But we are worshippers first and foremost. I want you to think about sowing in worship. What does that mean? It doesn't mean turn your favorite worship song on full blast in the office and wind everybody up as you sing, Jaira, you are enough. Or whatever yours at, at the moment is. But it does mean living out a life of worship. It does mean living out of a place of abundance, of him as the source. So it doesn't mean you don't go through tough times and have... Struggles and challenges, but the, the source of your joy and peace and contentment comes out of Jesus and being that presence as a worshipper. Wow, wow, in a tough place, in a hard season, around some people that don't get that. Worshipper, a community of God's believers that so. In worship lifestyles, will change the atmosphere and the environment that they're in. Somebody say, Amen. 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 Sowing seeds of prayer. How many of you would say that, that regularly you get burdens about praying for people or places or stuff? Just give us a wave. We're, we're not, not going to give a special badge, although that, you've already got that one from the Father you know, some people are already activated to pray. It's not because of a special prayer meeting. It's because the Spirit of God has put prayer within your your lifestyle, within your experience in such a way that it's become almost something you don't even think about. Some of you may be finding that you're starting to pray for a particular person right now. And you can't, you're not sure why, but Those nudges, those prompts are already something that are part of your life. Some years ago when I went from here to our church in the center of Cardiff to lead the church there, one of the elders um, came to me. Uh, He was already well into his 80s. He he was sprightly and still seemed very very fit and well. But uh, just the older he got, the more in love with Jesus he got. He was still on the eldership team, and he was not interested in one iota of the agenda. But the moment you mentioned Jesus, he was alive and awake. If you mentioned reaching people for Jesus, he was for it before you even posted the vote. He just became more and more in love with Jesus. Came to me at one time and said, Pastor Chris, I want to go and pray around the city. I said, fine, Keith, you don't need my permission for that, and that sounds great, how are you going to do What do you mean? You Put a map on the wall of your, your, your study and, and, and pray, no, no, I'm going to walk every single street in Cardiff. I'm thinking, check with our insurers right away whether we're covered for that one. And he meant it. And over the next year, he walked every street in the city of Cardiff. And occasionally, without making a fuss, he'd just come and tell me how he was doing, where he was up to and he'd just walk and sometimes he'd have his wife with him, sometimes he'd have one or two friends and they'd just walk and pray. I don't think they knocked many doors and you know, went for the three points of the, the, the gospel of, of Jesus. But I think he just was obedient to that prompt. Over that next little while, began to see just the, number one, the effect upon him he passionately began to call others to pray for the city. I can remember a moment here, years and years ago, just as Pastor Wynne was about to leave and Pastor Colin was about to take on the uh, leadership, the next level leadership of the church. It was already a big church. It was already full. On a Sunday over a weekend, maybe five, six services, heaving, looking for space. There was a prayer move that, Pastor Wynne and Pastor Colin called the church into. started as a small meeting. And over the next weeks and months, I don't just want to be nostalgic here today. There's a reason for saying this. And over the next weeks, that prayer meeting grew and grew and grew until the whole place was filled. And there was a move of prayer that, that, that just brought something wonderful and fresh. But I remember an early moment in one of those first few meetings when praying about all the growth and all the challenges of of, uh, a full church and and, and all that God was doing spilling outside already into the areas of London where somebody who lived in Peckham was part of the church here but also was looking to reach Peckham. They began to start some new expressions of church there as well as being a part of it here. There came a moment when the leader directed everybody in the room to go to the walls of the building, to lay their hands on the walls, and to start to pray out. I want you just to picture that for a moment. A few hundred were we'll probably here, all the way around the building, hands on the building, praying out. And somewhere in there, this is what I remember, it may not be completely factual, but this is the impression of my spirit. Praying, Lord, let us never be limited by the walls of this building. Do something in London. Now, it was also a kingdom prayer. It wasn't just about us. It was about the other brands are available. The kingdom of God trumps every brand and name and denomination and style of church. But this was a move. Move my heart. But we're praying ourselves out to be inconvenienced, but to actually begin to say, Lord, will you do way beyond us? And for a moment, that little bit of prophetic action began to quicken something in a church in a given particular part of a season. Sowing seeds of prayer. We'll go quickly through these. Sowing seeds of kindness and compassion. Have you noticed how much in the last few years we're we're a more vulnerable society? We're we're more honest about our weaknesses. Our mental health is, is center stage in the public discourse and and particularly around young people, and, and we feel more vulnerable, we feel more tender. Perhaps it explains so much about how we're trying to navigate getting on with life. In the midst of that, a church that discovers the compassion of Jesus for one another and for others. Oh, wow! What could it be for us to learn together how to be that Acts Church again? To learn how to live together through prejudice, conflict, discord, disagreement, sin the New Testament. They went through stuff and they learned how to get through it. What could it be for us to learn how to be generous beyond ourselves? How to learn how to forgive, how to overcome the issues of race and, 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 and age and prejudice that so cripple our society everywhere on the planet, and to lean into that. It's not automatic. I read my Bible and I see it wasn't automatic for them either. Somehow, they began to experience a download of the compassion of Jesus, some wisdom in conflict times, some wisdom to get through some tough stuff. They had to find help. They came to a point of conflict in... Acts chapter 6, and, and, uh, and the apostles were stressed and burdened, and, and the Lord speaks to them to find from among them some others that can help. And the others that were found were those already living a lifestyle, a Christ-like lifestyle. They were already exercising faith. They were already miracles around their life and their testimony. There were already evidences of God at work in them. And it was a come and help us moment. And then we hear nothing about how the problems got solved, but actually the Lord was moving and preparing something for the season to come when there would be a great scattering of the church and every man, woman, and child would be recruited to be a missionary for Jesus wherever they went. Spirit of God moving in times of challenge, releasing kindness and compassion, generosity. What about hospitality? Some of you in your culture, it's not just about having a moment of sharing a word on a street corner, or even as a neighbor. It's about bringing one another into the home. It's about sharing a meal. It's about eating together, it's about walking together, it's about living in and out of relationship and friendship with each other. And in that environment of hospitality, sowing seeds of hospitality, it may not be on the mission course or the evangelism course, but you know how powerful that is to begin to open hearts, to earn the right to share what it is that you have to share. Can anybody say amen this morning? Hospitality opens doors. Remember a couple that had been kind of chased out of Rome because of persecution? They go to Corinth. They're called Priscilla and Aquila. And one day, Paul comes to live at their house. He has a rough feud few days and weeks in Corinth. He wants to leave town because it's sin city. He, he wants to pack his bags. He's done. The great, mighty apostle of God is already quitting, in his mind, Corinth. But the Lord speaks to him and says, don't go. I have many people in this city. Paul hadn't seen them. Paul hadn't seen the harvest that was to come. But God says, stay. And stay, he did, in their home. Their hospitality and their shared trade and and they they were already on a faith journey, but something happens in the hospitality and the doing life together. If you track them sometime over coffee or a a, a nice summer fizzy drink this week, sit down, have a look at Priscilla and Aquila, what happens. They go to Ephesus with him because they've caught something from Paul. They go on to Rome. And we find them in Romans 16, back in the place they'd had to leave because of persecution and they planted a church in Rome. I would suggest to you that something happened around this mix of getting around people who carry the presence of God and being in up close with them in an environment of faith, hospitality, witness. Can't resist just putting this extra one at the end. Sowing seeds of the prophetic and of the supernatural. Again, I'm not saying go just blast out on a street corner or in the office or in your neighbor's barbecue. (laughs) Thus says the Lord. Wisdom, grace, earning the right, but beginning to know that God's given you something. Starts with maybe just logging them, write, write them down, log them on your phone. The Lord is speaking about this situation. Starts to ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities. Just a week ago, I was in Amsterdam at a big conference of Pentecostal charismatic leaders from around the world, and I'll close with something from that in a moment. But I was praying, you know, a, a busy day of conference and lots of people there, and I, I can be very extrovert, but I'm not the most natural a uh, person in the room to want to go work the room and say hi to everybody over coffee. So I was just praying I'd be intentional about that. And towards the end of uh, the final night of meetings in the conference center before a big evangelistic event in the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam a week ago yesterday, um, they were having a ministry time. And it was 10.30 at night. A lot of people had already gone, but there were still thousands there. But where we were at the front, I was sat with uh, David Campbell and and, um, I looked over to my right. They called um, Pastor Bill Johnson forward to lead a prayer. And he just stopped all the music and he just said, let's pray. If you're sick, just stand. Just wave a hand. And he said, look around. Just go to somebody that has their hand raised. You're commissioned now. You're, you're, You're it. You're the ministry team. So we did and I went to a guy just one row behind me and about 10 chairs down and I stood in front of him. Two people were with him, one either side and he had a a problem with his leg. I looked at his badge and for some reason I picked up his badge, I just grabbed his badge and read his name and I read his name. He grabbed my badge, he read my name. And I began to just be very moved and some tears and so did he. 30 years ago, he was in the church in Scotland that my dad pastored. My dad was a pastor teacher. He was in a church that was healthy and a really good church, but he noticed something on this young guy's life. He noticed a call of evangelism on his life. And he'd encouraged him and he tried to get him on the team at that point, but they were having none of it. They were They were a little bit traditional in how how they thought about pastoral ministry and and team ministry. But I remember my dad talking about it over the years. My dad's with the Lord now, but I remember this deep impression. This young guy, he'd seen the calling of God for evangelism. And and there was a story behind that. The guy went on. He is now an evangelist in Canada and North America, leading uh, all kinds of ministry, very experienced, very well known. But as, before we prayed, as we were there, he just shared a little bit of his story and we wept together in a sense of just a moment. What I remember was this, that in the period after that, he came to our denomination and and applied for ministry. And uh, he told them that he wanted to evangelize Scotland. And I think, I maybe shouldn't be saying this out loud. Don't tell the rest of Elim I'm saying this. (laughs) He said he wanted to evangelize Scotland. And I can't judge what was in the room that day, but they said, we don't do that. We're looking for pastors for our churches. And there would have been other circumstances, but here am I looking into his eyes, and he's looking into mine. The call of God on his life was surely evangelism. And even if he didn't fit out going through our hoops and our exercise of training then, the call of God has been fruitful and fulfilled and confirmed time and again in his life. I'm coming into land. I want to say that because there are some people here and God has called you to share your faith with others. Some of you, you know, he's even put an evangelistic calling on your life. At some point in the past, stuff has happened. And it may not have gone as you would have hoped or expected. For some of you, it may be something so distant, you almost don't admit that that was part of his calling on your life. And as we close this service in the next few minutes, I want to say to you that the Lord is stirring that calling again in your life. And as you step forward, if you will be obedient again, if there's stuff to put right, if there's stuff to just talk to somebody that can help you, maybe to some of the team here, because he's looking to revive that calling. Like I came running back to a calling, not into the, a particular area of ministry, but just say, Lord, with all that you said to me back then, do it again. It took some time before he began to just kind of do stuff in me where I was, I think, being healed, being restored getting rid of some stuff. I want to say all over this building there are people that carry these heart burden ministries. But here's how I close. Sowing seeds of revival begins to lead to what then Jesus says about the harvest, that harvest is plentiful, but workers are few. It's right between, well, it's right under our, our, our very eyes there. Clearly spelt out by Jesus. Harvest plentiful, workers a few. Over these next years, one of the greatest challenges to the church is an equipping challenge. To equip everybody to share Jesus with everybody else. To equip those that feel qualified or unqualified, those that feel called or those that, that, that haven't heard that call. That every one of us have a part to play. There is an everyone call going on around the world, and that's what Amsterdam was about. It was thousands of people, but more than that. 1,600 different global plans to reach the the world for Jesus in the next 10 years. Every denomination and, and, and ministry seems to be recommitting to that, but actually from a vulnerable and weak position, maybe feeling less able than they did 10, 20 years ago. And yet the call is so clear and so consistent that more and more are awakening to it, aligning with it, and saying whatever else we do. I sat at a table in Amsterdam with a, a bishop from the Methodist Church in India, Bishop Michael, very humbled in our conversation as he shared three unreached people groups in northern India with languages where there is no Bible and no access to the scriptures that his Methodist churches, spirit-filled, gospel-preaching Methodist churches there, are reaching those three tribes over the next ten years in Jesus' name. And even though he didn't have the big badges and the big ministry behind his name, actually, that moved us more than almost anything over those days. Everyone on the planet having the opportunity to hear that Jesus loves them, that he's died to save them. And you know, harvest workers is going to take an acceleration. But also Jesus says those harvest workers are not just those that are filled, but those that are sent. Like the walls and the hands on the walls in a prayer meeting here decades ago. It's time for us all, to step into a new season of sowing. And the Spirit of God will help us. We'll have to go find some friends, some tags, some people, to get them involved too. But in Jesus' name, it's time to sow. Church, will you stand with me as we close the message So here, if you know that the Lord is calling you to pray, lift your hands before him now. The prayers, you've already heard that. Will you just give it to him again and say, Lord, I'm going to sow prayer more, more, more. If the Lord is calling you to sow in, in generosity, come on, some of you, that's on your life. Generosity. Barnabas sold a field, a property, and gave it to kingdom work no strings attached no conditions if it's witness evangelism some of you, I, I gave that word out I'll be at the front if you want to speak to me anybody on that one, but you, you know he's called you to evangelism and, and lots of, has happened but this morning I announced that again Spirit of God calling you, will you lift your hand Will you lift your hands? Evangelism, soul winning, winning others to Jesus and being a part with others to reach others for Jesus. The supernatural, what about that? Miracles, healings. There's a passion in you to see that flowing again in ordinary places, in ordinary moments, the supernatural interventions of God through through real people extending in faith. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Here we are. Best of times, worst of times. People coming to faith in Jesus all around the world. But we're struggling, Lord, in so many ways to break out. Will you anoint this church again? Afresh. Afresh. For soul winning. For multi-thousands of people to come to Jesus. That is its DNA. That's its calling. In the name of Jesus, for this decade ahead, will you raise up an equipping anointing again? Release that. Raise up that equipping move that is fit for and shaped for the decade we are in. That will reach nations as well as neighbourhoods, near and far. And send again. It's as though we have our hands on the walls, Lord, saying fill us but send us and all God's people said Amen. amen and amen let's give the Lord a great praise